Good morning, Woodland Hills. Good morning, pod congregation out there, um, or good afternoon, wherever you're listening. Hey, you know, that refuge ministry, I really encourage you to take that seriously. This, uh, it's powerful. It's a beautiful slice of the kingdom. It happens there every week. And uh, it's about truth and honesty and grace and healing and all of that. So it might be something that you want to uh, be a part of. Well, welcome to the last weekend service of 2013. And Minnesota has returned. <laughs> I, I talked to a person last service who's visiting from Florida. And it's like, okay, if you've got family up here, shouldn't they go visit you? <laughs> this is Minnesota, all right? Uh, they, they cry when it gets down to 50. I mean, we're sitting here 50 below. Anyways, it's warm in here, and God's presence is here, and what else really matters, right? So we uh, have just finished this Advent series. Uh, and leading up to Christmas. And the plan is always to, when we're not doing a series, we kind of just chip away at the book of Colossians. Uh, that's what we've been in the last couple of years anyways. And we've been away from this now for, I guess, four or five months. But it just so happens that the, uh, and I didn't notice this, this wasn't planned or anything, far be it from us to plan this, but uh, the, the passage that we left off on, well, the very next passage uh, it makes for a real good end-of-the-year wrap-up kind of a message. Um, at least I think it does. I hope that you'll end up agreeing with this. Um, so it's uh, I, I found in Colossians, and it's in chapter 3. Well, we're entitling this message, Shake It Off, Shake Him Off, for reasons that will become clear here in about eight and a half minutes. Shake Him Off. And I'm reading from Colossians chapter 3, and I'll read verse 13, and then 15 through 17. And we had left off on 15. Bear with each other. I lost my glasses, so I'm not only using these stupid reading glasses, which work great when you're reading, but when you look out at people, you're all so blurry. So I have to like do this thing, which makes me feel about 90. But the grandpa kind of glasses, but I am a grandpa, so maybe I should just own up to it. So anyways, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. I preached on this uh, last week. And be thankful. Be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Be thankful. And now sing with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, under the authority of Jesus, giving thanks. Do it all while giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. So notice here that in the first two verses, uh, or the first verse we read, um, Paul twice repeats the command to forgive. Forgive if you have a grievance against anyone. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And then in the next three verses, three times he repeats, the instruction to be thankful. Be thankful. Sing with gratitude in your hearts. And then in everything you do, whether in word or deed, do it all, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. You get the impression that this is kind of important, uh, to forgive and to be thankful. And those two things are absolutely connected, two sides of the same coin. Because the greatest obstacle to developing a thankful, grateful, joyful heart is unforgiveness. So in this message, I want to first talk about forgiveness. As we're closing out this year, asking the question, what do we need to let go of? What do we need to release? And then 
in the second part of the message, talking about gratitude. What do we need to embrace and give thanks for? And talk about how that changes us fundamentally when we're always living those two things, letting go of what we need to let go of, embracing and giving thanks for what we need to embrace and give thanks for. Pray with me here for a moment. Abba Father, I pray that this message would be for everyone in this auditorium and everyone listening through podcasts or any other means. It would be a shower that would wash us of anything that is not of you, of attitudes that maybe we've adopted, of, of, of anger that maybe we've internalized, of, of habits that maybe we've acquired. I pray, Lord God, it would be a releasing time, a cleansing time. And I pray, Lord God, that, that as we go through this, you would be cultivating in us a capacity to see and notice and give thanks for every good thing in our life. Create in us, make us into a joyful people, a thankful people, a grateful people who take nothing for granted, but bless you in everything good that comes our way. Let it be done. My words can't do it. I'm not even going to try. Uh, Holy Spirit, you've got to infuse it with your authority to make the kingdom happen. So, Lord, have your way. Do your thing and, and build, bring your kingdom. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So as we're leaving 2013 and entering into 2014, I want us to be asking the question, what do we need to let go of? And what do we need to embrace and give thanks for? So let's start with looking at one more passage. It's a very important passage. It's found in Ephesians 4. It's a profound passage. Paul says, In your anger, or gidzo, do not sin. But do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. That's how you sin when you're angry. You let the sun go down on it. The first use of the word anger is, is the word is orge. It's a verb orgizo. The second use of the word anger has orge in it. You can see O-R-G right in the middle of it there. But it has the prefix para. And the, the prefix para means down under or submerged. Because when you let the sun go down on your anger, it becomes submerged anger. And when that happens, you give the devil a foothold. So here's what Paul's saying. Uh, you're going to be angry in this world. This is a fallen world, and, and conflict is inevitable. Uh, and anger is natural. Anger is simply the natural response when something you value gets devalued. Uh, when, when, when something of great worth is treated as, it, it treated as worthless, it's a natural response. Just like stubbing your toe, you feel pain. And the pain's there to tell you something's wrong. So also, when something you value is devalued, whether it's you or a loved one or a possession, uh, the pain you feel is anger. It's a natural response. Something's wrong. What you value is not being uh, treated appropriately. Now, it could be that what you value or the amount of value you put on something, that may be sinful. Maybe, you, you know, you, you put too much, too much stock in that car of yours or, or, you know, in your front lawn. So if something happens to it, you, you, your anger is out of proportion. That could be the case. But the fact that you have anger is not itself a sin. What is sinful is when we don't deal with it. We don't work it through and let go of it quickly. Uh, what is sinful is when we go to bed with it and the sun sets on it. Because now, whereas the original anger was about someone or something specific and could be dealt with, once we internalize it, 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 it turns inward. And once it turns inward, it becomes generalized. It becomes a polluting force in our life. Uh, it, it, it begins to stink up our inner, our inner soul. It's like, it's, like, it's like lighting a cigar in a closed room. You can't contain it, man. It's going to stink up everything. That's why wives always send the husband outside to smoke your cigar. Yeah, I don't want my whole house stinking up. Outside, you don't notice it, but inside, it stinks up everything. Well, when we internalize anger, it's like lighting a cigar in our soul. And it just begins to, it's not, it's not directed on anything specific. It becomes about you. And that negativity begins to permeate your being. And you find yourself becoming increasingly negative. 
And then you give the devil a foothold. The, the devil is called the prince of darkness because he needs darkness to operate. He cannot stand the light. He cannot stand truth. He needs darkness to operate. He's like fungus. Uh, and and, and, and um, we create that darkness whenever there's secrecy or hiddenness or duplicity in our life. Our dece- deception allows the deceiver to come in and deceive us further. Think about that. And so when we put on Minnesota nice, we have our anger, but we put on a smile because we don't deal with anger very well. And so we internalize it, pretend we don't have it. It looks really godly. It looks like you're really being good, Christians and healthy and everything. But in fact, it's sick because that duplicity is what's giving him access into your life. And so he comes in there and now he, he fuels that negativity and intensifies that negativity and spreads that negativity like a cancer. And when a person has internalized this negative cancer, because they didn't deal with the anger while it was specific and outside of themselves, well, it gets manifested in a lot of different ways. Some people, they, it builds up like pressure, like a, like a kettle that's being boiled. And, and sooner or later, that kettle's got to let off some steam. And so this person's going along with a nice Minnesota, a nice smile on their face because they're not dealing with any of their anger. They pretend like it doesn't affect them at all. And they go to bed with it night after night after night, and then suddenly something small happens, and they explode. They pop. And people think, gosh, why is that person so angry about this little thing? Well, it was because it wasn't about that little thing. Uh, that little thing just got, was the avenue to let off something that happened long ago. Could have been years ago, but the person's never dealt with it. It's just been sitting there seething. These are the people that are hot-tempered. They have a short fuse. Uh, you know, they're, 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 uh, they're, they have anger. You can sense it sometimes just, just beneath the surface. And it affects everything. Uh, for some people... In fact, there's increasing scientific evidence that shows that people who don't let go of anger and who don't deal with it, who hold on to grudges and have unforgiveness in their life, it affects them physically. Uh, the, the, in fact, there's a, the University of California is in the middle of this three-year study, uh, $5.6 million study, that is, is looking at the negative effects of unforgiveness in people's lives. It, it, it affects our immune system. We can't fight off diseases uh, like we should. Uh, we can't fight off cancer and other things uh, the way we should. It affects us emotionally. Everything gets polluted by this. And that doesn't mean that if you're sick or have a disease or cancer, it's because of that, because a lot of things can cause that. But this is a negative influence. It's one of the variables that affect us. And for everybody who has internalized anger and unforgiveness, well, it creates a growing negativity in their life. Uh, it begins to jaundice the way they look at the world. It becomes a darker place. And their capacity to see the negative and to feel the negative and to not see the positive and to feel the positive, uh, it, it increases. And now you're a person who's moving in the direction that's opposite, opposite someone who's growing in gratitude and growing in joy and growing in the capacity to be thankful in all things. It is so important, so important that when we are angry, we deal with it. It's so important that we are people of the truth. Uh, Ten verses before the one that we read in 425, Paul says, speak the truth to one another. And the word truth in Greek, aletheia, simply means uncovered. To be uncovered. Don't cover up anything. Because that's what creates darkness that allows the devil to get a foothold. Speak truth. Be honest. Let there be no duplicity between what's on the outside and what's on the inside. If you're angry, be angry and work it out. Deal with it and then let it go. Uh, Don't let the sun go down on that. The minute you do that, it becomes paraorgae, and that is cancer. And it can eat your inner world alive. So what do you do if you have already done this? If you've already internalized the anger? If you're finding that you're becoming increasingly negative? 
A lot of folks find that as they get older, there's just more stuff to complain about. The world just they become curmudgeon. They, they, they get on a, a kind of a path of, of, of growing cynicism. What do you do if you're on that path? If you find this year you're more negative than you were a year ago or two years ago, how do you handle this? There's a song that I want to play that I think beautifully addresses this. Here's, here's the weird thing. I, I don't know what it is, but for the last three months or so, I have just been feeling music more powerfully than I have for decades. I've always, when I was younger, I listened to music all the time. It deeply affected me. Could, could you know, melt me or just get me rowdy. Or I've always been sensitive to music. I, I still have times where, in devotions, uh, it will take me into, uh, you know, soaring. But, but uh, for the last three decades or so, it hasn't played much of a role in my life. And for some reason, just the last few months, I've been feeling it really deeply. And, and so I'm listening to it all the time. It's kind of freaking my wife out. I always have headphones on. And, and whatever I do, I, I just want to be listening to music. And what's really freaking her out is the kind of music that, I mean, I'm, I listen to a lot of different kinds and I like it all, uh, except country western, but I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> but some of the music I'm listening to is not stuff I ever thought I'd be listening to. Some of the stuff that's hitting me the most powerful um, and, and communicating powerful truths is, is some of these hard rock bands, even some of these metal bands. And I just sort of stumbled out of this genre. I, I'm 56 and I'm listening to this stuff that you'd think a 20-year-old would be listening to. I just, I initially got attracted to it because of the drumming, because the drumming on some of those metal bands is fantastic. But then, and some of it's demonic and terrible, and I, I don't, t- you know, ugh, I hate that. But some of this stuff, I, I'm listening to, you know, bands like Muse and Alter Bridge and Stabbing Westward. Any of you guys know that one? These, these bands? Um, uh, Skillet. Some of their stuff is profoundly spiritual. Breaking Benjamin, it's got some really incredible lyrics to it. It's just moving me. And so I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm listening to head-banging music. Shelly comes in, and there I am. I'm supposed to be working on my book. Instead, I'm just banging my head. But I'm getting into it. This morning, I woke up at 3 in the morning, couldn't get back to sleep, so I, I, I should have been working on my book, but instead I listened to music for three hours. <laughs> What's with this? I'm going nuts. I don't know. But anyways, all that is to say this. I want us to listen to this song. This is from one of my favorite bands. So they're not hard rock. Uh, they're more alternative. But uh, they're Florence and the Machine. Any fans of Florence and the Machine here? Yeah, okay. Uh, they're very much like a, a band that's a little more well-known, and it's also one of my favorites, and that's Evanescence. And um, what I love about the band is they take this uh, beautiful, melodic female voice and superimpose it on this very majestic, uh, hard, sometimes even metallic bottom, grunge guitar. I just love the combination of a lyrical voice and grunge guitar and heavy drums. I just love it. I don't know, for some reason it hits me. So this song is about, well, it's about what we're talking about. Uh, how to deal with uh, internalized anger and regrets and, and sadness and things of that sort. Florence here is, is wrestling with something. She, on the one hand, she likes to hang on to the past. She likes to keep her issues strong. She doesn't like, like to let go of anything. On the other hand, she sees that she has got to. So let's listen to this. It's, it's, called, it's her most famous song. It's called Shake It Off. Shake It Off. Let's listen to it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. You know, she is singing this, that part, you know, just shake it, shake it off, shake it off. I, I just picture um, sometimes myself and sometimes a, a crowd of people with their hands raised in the air, kind of jumping up and down and swirling like dervishes, you know, and they're just getting free. They're just shake it off. Just be free. Just be free. Because it can happen that um, sometimes... You find the regrets collecting like old friends. They just won't go away. Keep showing up. 
And you relive your darkest moments. You ever find yourself just starting to ruminate on the darkest moments, the negative stuff, those regrets hanging around, haven't been dealt with. And the minute we start ruminating on the darkest moments and going over them, that's when the ghouls come out to play, she says. Oh, they love that. There's a demonic quality to that. The things we harbor in secret. It's an invitation for the demonic realm to come in and start wreaking havoc on your heart. Things that maybe you've done to others and you can't forgive yourself, or things that have been done to you and you can't forgive others. That sadness and that regret and that anger, that woundedness, well, if it's not dealt with, it's an invitation for the ghouls to just come and fuel it and begin to pollute your inner world. And every demon gets its pound of flesh, she says. Quoting Hamlet here. When we give the devil a foothold, he begins to carve up our insides, sucking the life right out of us. And he can, if we allow it, he can kill and steal and destroy our capacity to be thankful and to be joyful and to give love and to receive love. Price we pay for this. And so Florence says, why, why, should, I, why should this happen to me? I'm going, to, I'm going to suffer if I need to, and I'm going to dare to hope. Sometimes it feels like a risk when you're so used to the negativity, but she's going to dare to have hope. She realizes she's been blind and she's been a fool. She realizes she's been clinging to the past, carrying around a, a dead horse. But now she's going to bury that horse in the ground. And she realizes that she's been having a graceless heart, an unforgiving heart. So she's going to take it out and she's going to make a new start. And she realizes finally that it's, it's hard to dance with the devil on your back. You just got to shake him off. You got to shake him off. The only way to be free is to shake him off because it is impossible. It is impossible to be a thankful, joyful, grateful person when you are harboring resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness and rage, anger, regrets in in your innermost heart. You have to shake it off. You have to let it go. And so as we're going into 2014, leaving this year behind... I'm wondering if there are some here who need to shake off some of the pollution that you've acquired this year. Maybe it's been stuff that's been hanging around for a lot of years. I wonder if there are some who realize you've been going to bed with your anger, your regrets, and your wounds. And maybe the way to find that out, if you're not aware of stuff you've internalized, is ask the question, are you more or less joyful at the end of this year than you were at the end of the last year? Are you more or less negative and cynical this year than you were last year? And if the answer is that you're becoming more negative and you're, you're, you're not as grateful and there's not as much joy, I'm willing to bet that it's because something has been allowed on the inside. Something has not been dealt with. Something is being internalized. Something is polluting you. And, and it, it will continue to, to eat away at you until you deal with it. If you find that you've, you're more negative this year than you were a year ago, and you aren't the one to ask, really, because we don't notice the subtle changes in us. We're like the proverbial frog in the boiling water. When, we are the, when we're the change, we don't really notice it, unless it's really dramatic. So maybe you need to ask your spouse or ask friends, am I more joyful than I was a year ago or five years ago, or am I more cynical? And if you find that you are becoming more cynical, you're more negative, you're, it's because you're carrying a dead horse around. And what the Lord wants you to know as we close out this year and get ready for the next is that it's time to bury that dead horse in the ground. It is, it's time to, to, to get free. It's time to take out that graceless heart and make a new start. It's time to shake that devil off your back and to be free. Because as a child of God, we are called to not let the enemy come and kill, steal, and destroy what is your birthright. 
God created you and God saved you to be free. God created you and God saved you to dance, not to crawl through life with the devil on your back. God created you to be liberated and redeemed, not to be enslaved to anger and bitterness and hostility and negativity and cynicism. God created you and saved you to be filled with joy and to be filled with gratitude, not filled with despair and depression and anger. And so shake it off. It's time to shake it off. The Lord's saying, cleanse it, let it go. Don't carry that another day. Let it go. It's the only, it's the only way to be free. Now, now, what does it mean to shake it off? How, how do we shake it off? How do we shake the devil off our back? And Florence points us in the right direction when she says, I'm going to take this graceless heart out and I'm going to make a new start. A graceless heart is a grace, is a heart that won't extend grace. The, the, the legalist heart. And so that have a, have that graceless heart removed means that you're going to cultivate a grace-filled heart. And a grace-filled heart is a heart that extends grace, a heart that extends mercy, a heart that forgives and lets go. And so what it means to shake the devil off your back is, is, is this. If you're finding that you have increased negativity and that you're not dancing through life, you're, you're, you're just surviving. First, ask God to show you the source of Whatever it is that you internalized, where is that pollution of negativity coming from? Where did you first contract that cancer of negativity? If it's been diffused in your inner being for a long time, you maybe don't even remember how it got there, but ask God for wisdom about that because it really helps to be able to identify, you know, when did you first light that cigar in the closet of your, your soul? When did you start stinking up the place by not dealing with the stuff while it was still outside of you? And, and, and envision this. And see what it's about. Then, secondly, confess your sin because it is sin to internalize stuff. It's sin to, to live in duplicity. It's sin not to have a, a, a congruity between our inner world and outer world. That's why Paul says, be angry, but don't sin. And the way we sin is by going to bed with our anger. So confess that sin and receive forgiveness for it. And then, then you let it go. And that's what all forgiveness is. It's just releasing a debt that was incurred by a wrong done to you. Uh, you were you, you were devalued, and there's a part of us that wants to hang on to this 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 debt by say it's a way we think we're hanging on to our worth by saying you owe me. But but to to do that is to play God. We're to turn everything over to God. If there's any debts to be collected, well, God will collect those debts. That's why He says, "Vengeance is mine. Leave all vengeance to God." Our job is to let it go, to release it, and to be free. Uh, to forgive does not mean that you're going to trust the person because some people just aren't trustworthy. To forgive does not mean you're going to want to hang out with a person because some people you just wouldn't want to hang out with. Uh, to forgive doesn't mean anything other than you release them. They don't even have to want your forgiveness. They don't even have to want to think they need your forgiveness. They don't have to even be alive. They could be dead for two decades. Because, see, it's not about them. It's about you. It's about you getting free by releasing them. It's true that if, if, if you're going to have a reconciled relationship, that requires two people to agree on the wrong that's done. And, and to, to, you know, to be reconciled requires two parties. But to forgive doesn't. To forgive is, can be a unilateral thing. And so you just let it go. You just let it go. Release the debt. And turn it over to God. And, and uh, if God will take care of the rest, your job is to stay free. If you're finding this hard to do because you're under this deception, so the devil is so, so deceptive. This darkness, once it gets on the inside, it feels like we are being empowered by hanging on to grudges. Like we're making them pay. But in fact, we're the one who's paying for it. <laughs> we're paying for the wrong that was done for us. We're the ones who are suffering. We're the ones who are being polluted with negativity. They don't give a rip. No, you're the one who's paying for it. 
Uh, we think we're, we're empowering ourselves, but in fact, we're empowering them to continue to define us by keeping us negative. We're empowering them to steal our birthright to joy. No, no, you don't want this, you don't need this, let it go, let it go. If you find it that it's hard to do, then just remember this, that God has forgiven you a debt that is infinitely greater than any debt that anyone's ever incurred against you. And it's a debt that had he not forgiven it, it would destroy you. But God forgave you, and now Scripture tells us to forgive others as Christ forgave us. We're to treat others the way Christ treats us, and he treats us with mercy, so also we're to extend mercy. Let it go, let it go, let it go. It's compliance with God's word, but it's also what the only way to stay healthy and to have a grateful, thankful heart. And the same thing applies if, if the one you need to forgive is yourself. And maybe that this year you have done something that you just can't forgive yourself for. Or maybe it's something that when it happened five years ago that you can't forgive yourself for. Realize that, that when we don't forgive ourselves, what we're really saying is that well, we're, we're, we're paying down a debt that's already been paid off. Calvary is about the payment for all of all debts, right? And so we're double paying. How wise is that? Double paying on a debt that's already been, been paid off. In fact, when, when we don't forgive ourselves, we're really saying that the sacrifice of the cross is not sufficient to cover this sin. What we're really saying is that this sin is greater than God. It's greater than God's love. This sin, God's love is not great enough to cover and forgive and release this sin. And just realize how, what a ridiculous lie that is. That is a lie out of the pit of hell. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how terrible it was. I don't care if you're a baby killer. I don't care if, if, if you're a mass murderer. I don't care if you slept with every available guy in the Twin Cities this year. You know, I don't care if, if uh, you sold your own child to support your crack cocaine addict. Your sin is no comparison to God. It's infinitely small compared to the love of God. You are your sin is like a gnat trying to blow back Niagara Falls by blowing hard to stop it. A gnat trying to just keep Niagara Falls from happening by blowing it. It doesn't work. You're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to drown. So why don't you just let yourself drown in God's love? Why don't you just let God's love overwhelm you? Why don't you just trust God in his word that his love is infinitely greater than your sin? And then shake it off. Shake it off. Let it go. Just put your trust in God's love and receive his forgiveness and be free and dance once more. Well, we're, you know, we, 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 we try to punish ourselves. We're trying to pay for our own sin. We're trying to pay for our own debt by making ourselves miserable. Look, at learn from your mistakes. But in, in the kingdom, there's no room for regrets. There's no room for Christ took the punishment. You're not supposed to double pay on that. And, and to try to punish yourself for it is to really say his punishment's not enough. He stood in your place on Calvary. And now you're trying to stand in your own place. Shake it off. Realize the lie, the deception you're caught under, and let it go. I've been speaking the last couple of weeks on, on mentioning at least the, the principle of faith in Hebrews 11.1. 1, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? It's about envisioning what we believe and feeling the conviction that it is so. So it's really helpful to envision this. Whether you're forgiving somebody else, releasing somebody else, or whether you're releasing yourself, envision it. And you'll find that it has much more power to impact you and to set you free. There was a young lady several weeks ago who came up after the service and, and she couldn't forgive herself for an abortion that she had had. And she was, it was destroying her. This beautiful young lady was just in such sorrow and such pain because she could not forgive herself. And, and, and I just was, it was a kingdom moment, a beautiful kingdom moment where I just had her envision this little child and, and she was holding this little child. And that was hard for her to do, but it was also very good for her to do. And, and then I had her 
confess her sin and ask for forgiveness, and she did, apologizing to the baby and apologizing to Jesus. And then I had her give the little child over to Jesus, and Jesus reached out his arms and took the little child and put, and put the child in his, in his arms. And then to hear, for her, hear from Jesus, she needs to hear from Jesus say, my love redeems all things, including this. My love covers all sins, including this. Uh, I want you to be free now. I want you, for you, it is as though it had never happened. Learn from your past. Don't make the same mistakes over and over again, but be free. You are my radiant child. You're my precious bride. I find you altogether lovely, altogether beautiful. You ravish my heart. And God showed up. We were both bawling. But, but you could just see the burden lifted. Oh, the heavy weight of that condemnation that comes from the enemy. It just gets lifted and a smile comes on her face and it was so beautiful. There's nothing more ugly in the universe than unforgiveness and nothing more beautiful than forgiveness. That's why the cross is infinitely beautiful. Be free. Be free. God wants you to dance. No ifs, ands, or buts. Not crawl with the devil on your back. So the main obstacle to being joyful and grateful is, is, is unforgiveness. So let, let that go. Deal with stuff quickly. And when you've internalized something, confess it and then turn it over to God and be free. But what can we do to cultivate an attitude of gratitude and to cultivate joy? What positive steps can we take uh, to becoming increasingly grateful for things? I, I, I think I find that the, the key to this whole thing uh, is found in the awareness that behind every good thing in life is the good God. The good God, the true God, is the source, the ultimate source of all good gifts. James says this. He says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And I think he's saying that behind every good gift we receive, ultimately is the Father of lights, who is good all the time. He doesn't change. He's invariantly good. Now, it's, it's true that most of the good gifts we receive in life require the cooperation of others to get to us. And so it's appropriate to thank people when they do good things for you. But realize that if it wasn't for the good God always infusing the world with his goodness, there wouldn't be any good gifts to come through anybody. We would have made this world into a complete negative hell. It's only the goodness of God that preserves any goodness here, you see? So it's, it's like this. On Christmas Day, my granddaughter uh, came up and... and uh, just randomly gave me a little card. Um, five-year-old granddaughter just said, I, I love you, Grandpa. Of course, I'm immediately destroyed. <laughs> I was slaughtered. But uh, that's a good gift, something I should not ever take for granted. It's beautiful. And Now, my, my granddaughter made the decision to uh, write that little card for me, and so I, I thank her for it. Thank you so much. That's appropriate. But, of course, she wouldn't be here to give me this good gift if my daughter and son-in-law hadn't fallen in love and, and raised a child a certain way. So I'm also grateful to them. But, of course, they wouldn't have been around to fall in love and to raise this child a certain way if God hadn't created them and if God wasn't sustaining them every moment and if God wasn't breathing goodness into their life at every moment. So I want to thank God. And ultimately, the, all the goodness originates in God. And it goes through parents and it comes out through children in the form of a little, a little gift. So I give thanks all around. But ultimately, it's God who's behind it. And so behind every good thing in our life, we need to see the good God operating. Some people wonder, well, gosh, if we, if we're to thank God for every good thing, don't we have to blame him for every bad thing? 
And that would be true if God was a control freak, you know, controlling everything, sure. But I don't think God operates that way. No, God is always good. He's altogether light. There is no darkness in him, John says. James says he's, 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 he's all good. He has nothing shifty about him. There's nothing shadowy about him. He's always good. There's not anything malicious in him, not anything evil. And so when there's evil in the world, it's, it, it always originates in some will other than God. God created humans and, and angels as free agents, and we have the capacity to either cooperate with God's goodness or to suppress God's goodness. And whenever there's any evil in the world, it's because some free agent is suppressing the goodness of God. But, but uh, it, it doesn't negate the fact that, that whenever goodness pops through, uh, it originated with God. And our job is to develop the habit. The key to becoming a grateful, thankful, joyful person is to develop the habit of noticing when the good pops through and giving thanks for it. Realize that, 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 that God owes us nothing. We are a race of rebels. We don't, it's, it's not like we, we have any kind of entitlement here. He doesn't owe us anything. No, if, if, if any goodness comes our way, it is a matter of sheer grace. It's sheer mercy. It's God just giving us something that we did not deserve. And so we can't take it for granted, can't think that he owes it to us or we're entitled to it. We've got to be thankful for it. And, and that's not because God's up there feeling unappreciated, though I bet sometimes he does feel unappreciated. But it's mainly for our sake, because it's the key to growing in joy and growing in your capacity to, to uh, see the good and give thanks for the good. People have found... I'm sure a lot of us have found that that, um, that the more that you see, the more you look for the good and, and give thanks for the good, the, it grows your capacity to see the good and it grows your capacity to experience gratitude for it. Everything we do in life, we get better at doing it, creates momentum. Uh, but the opposite is also true. That if, if we're not looking for the, the goodness of God, if we're taking things for granted, then it diminishes our capacity to see the good and diminishes our capacity to feel grateful about the good. And now you're on your way to experiencing the world as being devoid of the goodness of God, and you're on your way to being having a thankless, joyless heart. It's so crucial, folks, that we keep our eyes open and give thanks for every good thing that comes our way. Uh, when you develop the capacity to, to uh, see the good and give thanks for the good, when you take nothing for granted, realize that nothing's owed to you, give thanks for everything, well, the world begins to explode with the goodness of God. Because the truth is that every moment of every day, you are enveloped in the goodness of God. God's, God's never resting. He's always active in every circumstance to breathe goodness into it. And there's a lot of stuff, a lot of agents who are suppressing it, but God is always on the side of good in your life at every moment. And if you are looking for it and give thanks for it, you grow in your capacity to see it, and then you begin to see the goodness of God and thank God for the love that you see in, in the, the eyes of your spouse. You, you, you see the goodness and wonder and beauty of God in the laughter of little children. You see the goodness and beauty of God in, in, in the, the dog playing with the cat and the squirrel clinking nuts out in the backyard and, and the way the sun is shining and the leaf blowing in the wind. You thank God for the beauty of music. You see the wonder and beauty and glory of God in, 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 in the, the card that your granddaughter gave you. You see the beauty and glory of God in, in the health that you have and you don't take it for granted. You give thanks to that. Because if you've got fingers that work, give thanks because in this war zone, some people don't have fingers that work. And if you've got eyes that function and legs that work and arms that move, give thanks for that. Because in this war zone world, there are some people who don't have those things. If you've got a brain that functions and knows that, 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 that can smell things, uh, a tongue that can taste things, give thanks for that. Because in this war zone world, some people don't have that stuff and you didn't deserve it. There's no reason why you have it and they don't. 
It's all just God's goodness breaking through. And all around us, you see that the world explodes with beauty and wonder. And it's not that you stop noticing the evil. No, there's still, this is, I'm not giving a Pollyanna, look at the world through rose-colored glasses message here. No, you're still aware that there's ugliness and evil all around. Of course, we need to stay aware of that. Stay awake to the war zone. But see, when we are growing in our capacity to see and experience the goodness of God breaking through all, all over the place, well, now the, the ugliness and the evil no longer has the capacity to kill, steal, and destroy your joy and your gratitude in the midst of the war. You see, it, it can be realistic about the ugliness of the world and still have a profound joy and gratitude in your heart. It's about looking for it, and it's about noticing it and giving thanks for it. Let me do real quickly wrap this up by just giving three practical tips that can help us uh, grow in this. The first one I mention a lot because it's so foundational to everything, and that is just staying awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. Uh, you know, Paul says, in everything you do, word or deed, give thanks. That means you've got to be aware of God in everything you do, uh, word or deed. Uh, this is what we call practicing the presence. Practicing the presence of God. Staying aware that, that whatever you do, whatever else is going on in your life, you are enveloped in the goodness of God this moment. God's presence is always around you as a force for good. Um, and stay awake to that. And if you stay awake to that, well, then you'll notice the goodness popping through all over the place. The temptation, however, is to, f- we, 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 we fall asleep and, and we go through life on autopilot. And when you're going through life on autopilot, you only notice what you're conditioned to notice. And it's not the goodness of God. Uh, we have to, to, to notice the goodness. You've got to be intentional. So I, I encourage folks to put post-it notes wherever their eyes are going to make contact throughout the day. Uh, stay awake. Post-it notes that remind you to look for the goodness and give thanks in all things. It helps to do this with friends. Everything in the kingdom works better with friends. Uh, and so you, you can encourage one another, remind one another, send messages back and forth, text or, or uh, however you do it, uh, to remind each other to stay awake, looking for the goodness, giving thanks for the goodness that is around you at every moment. Stay awake. It's the hardest challenge. You could leave here and forget this entire sermon, and this will have done you no good. It's about cultivating a different mindset. Secondly, there's a second spiritual discipline I want to share with you. Uh, this is originated from uh, a 16th century monk named Ignatius of Loyola. One of my favorite spiritual uh, fathers in church history. And um, it's called the examine. And that is the right spelling. Uh, it's, it's, it's a spiritual exercise here. Uh, not, not, just our, not just our ordinary examine kind of thing. And um, he, here's what it consists of. He would have the, the, the disciples that had come to him for spiritual training uh, commit to ending each day, or towards the end of each day, carve out a time where you reflect on that day. And you go through the day as vividly as possible in your imagination. Just go, run through it. And as you're imagining the day, pay attention to how you felt at various points throughout the day. When the events would happen, how did you feel? Because Ignatius believed, I think completely rightly, that our feelings are the best indication that God is up to something. Uh, if you get in touch with the feelings, you have a sensitivity towards God. So he says, pay attention to the feelings. He's training people on how to notice the goodness of God and how to grow in their capacity to experience gratitude in their life. And then he says, you give thanks to God for every positive thing you felt that day. Uh, whether you remember to do it in the moment or not, you thank God for all of the positive that is there. And then he encouraged people to pick out the event that created the strongest feeling whether it was positive or negative, and to pray through that feeling and that event. 
And in doing that, you, 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 he says, look for, ask God to show you how he was present there, because he was present there, and what he was doing there. Where was God's goodness to be found there? And were you working with it or against it? So ask God, what are you to learn from this event? Let it teach you. And to correct whatever ways you are not cooperating with the goodness of God. And then you close out the exercise by just previewing tomorrow. Imagine what tomorrow may be like. And again, be asking God to show you, uh, to help you keep your eyes open for the goodness of God that will surely, surely meet you throughout that day. The question is, will you notice it or not? So I encourage you to reflect on every day. And how has God been present in your life throughout that day? Look for God in the ordinary uh, and see the blessedness and the sacredness of the ordinary. So often we think that God's got to be found in the wild experiences and the supernatural and the miraculous stuff. And, and thank God, sometimes he shows up that way. But most of the time, it's about noticing God in the still small voice. It's noticing God in the little things. It's noticing God in the Christmas card. It's noticing God in the fingers that move. It's noticing God in the flower, in the music, in the squirrel, in the dogs that are playing, in the kids that are laughing. Notice and give thanks. And the final thing I'll just say is this. You can apply the examine, not just to a day. You can apply it to a week or a month or even a year. And I want to right now apply it to this year as we're closing out 2013. I want to encourage you to at least once, uh, take a block of time, however long it may be, and reflect on this year. Of course, you can't remember everything that happened, but what stands out as you go from January on? What stands out? What comes to your imagination? And try to re-envision it. And pay attention to how you felt when that event happened. And give God thanks for every positive thing. Whether you did it at the time or not, do it now. Thank you, God, for that. The small things, the big things, it's all the same. It's God's goodness managing to break through in a fallen world. Don't take it for granted. Take nothing for granted. You're owed nothing. It's all grace. Give God thanks for that. And then as you review the year, ask two questions here. And this is what the whole sermon's about. On the one hand, has there been pollution that you've accumulated that you now need to let go of? Did you at any point go to sleep, go to bed with your anger? Did you let the sun set on your wounds? on your sadness, uh, instead of dealing with it? Have you internalized some soul pollution that is now a cancer of negativity in your life? And uh, ask God to show you, give you wisdom about this. Or maybe you'll find that this year was negative because of something that happened the year before. It's never too late, as long as you can do it, to let it go. And commit to, when you find that negativity, to releasing it. Turning it over to God, shaking off the devil, and being free in the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And then as you look throughout the year, on the other hand, look for every positive thing and give God thanks for every positive thing that happened that year. And as you do it, watch how it just alters your being. As you shake off the negative and affirm the the goodness of God, there is a gratitude and a joy that begins to well up in your heart. When you get rid of that graceless heart, get rid of that sense of entitlement, get rid of that you owe me mindset, get rid of that take it for granted mindset, and realize that it's all God's beauty and gift and wonder shining through in a million different ways. It creates in us a sense of, of joy and gratefulness. Um, and that's what, we're, that's what we're to be cultivating. That's the snowball effect we're to be moving in. So we become increasingly aware of God's goodness and increasing in our capacity to experience profound gratitude for the small things of life. I'll just end with this. I, one of the things that I am most grateful for is, is you guys. I'm, I am, I'm profoundly grateful uh, for what God has done this year at Wilderness Church. Um, 
it's, it's, it's been a thing of beauty. I, I, the vision that we've had for this church body is increasingly coming to pass. And it's a joy to see it. I thank God for the opportunity that we have and the way we've been able to, uh, you know, have a food shelf here and, and serve underprivileged folks who are hungry. And I thank God for every bag of groceries we, we collected that fed people. I thank God for the, the clothing that we've been able to give away. I thank God for the, the daycare that we have here for women who are in battered shelters or who are, who are uh, uh, underprivileged. I thank God for the job training that's going on now in the theater and at our site, helping people get gainful employment. I thank God for the toy shop that we had here that put smiles on thousands of kids' faces who otherwise maybe wouldn't have had smiles. I thank God for all the missions trips we've sent out and for all the good that they've done. I thank God for every penny that we've raised to help other people. I thank God for our refuge uh, ministry with, with its beautiful support groups. I thank God for our GLBT support group and for our, our peer desire group and for our, our grief group and, and the divorce recovery group. All these beautiful groups where the kingdom shows up and people get set free. I thank God for every one of them. And I thank God for, for the way... Amen. Thank God. It's... It's God's the originator of all that. But all good gifts, most of them anyways, are mediated through people. And so I'm very grateful for you guys. I, the way that you have consistently been giving sacrificially to support the ministry here, the way that uh, you volunteered in things to make things happen, um, I just know that I don't take any of that for granted. And I feel like a very, very blessed man to be part of this congregation and serving you and uh, seeing us grow in the, in, the, in, the, in the likeness of Christ. It's a joy, it's an adventure, and I am grateful for it. Praise God. Okay, would you stand? I just want to close by sending us out with this word, benediction. As I do with the prayer teams, come up here, and if you have any need whatsoever that could use prayer, please come up here and, and, and get prayer with, uh, with them. But as we leave here, can we be a people who commit to letting go of everything we need to let go of? Let it go. Uh, Wake up to the deception of the enemy. You're not being empowered by hanging on to it. You're being disempowered. Uh, you don't need it. You don't want it. You shouldn't have it. Let it go. Shake it off. Be a people who are, live free of the enemy's influence and be a people who notice and give thanks for every positive thing in this world. Do it as you're driving home. Just thank God for every positive thing and watch how joy doesn't well up in your heart. Now we can be a people who manifest the joy of Jesus Christ to a world that really, really needs it. God bless you guys. Go out and shine on the world. Love you.